0: Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, the podcast where we talk to our greatest movie makers about the art and craft of making movies, and this week, we talk about the devil. Remember the devil? The devil was very frightening once in the late 80s, when his minions carried out his bidding in small towns and canyons, and especially on stage at heavy metal shows. There was a Cold War missile site called the Nike in my hometown, San Pedro, California, And it was common knowledge at my junior high that the metal kids had an altar there where they sacrificed pets. Satanism was real. The local news talked about it. Oprah talked about it. It was in the L.A. Times. Mark Meyer's new film, We Summon the Darkness, takes us back to the heights of the satanic panic. It starts with three young women driving to a metal show in God's country, Indiana. A radio broadcast mentions some ritualistic murders, And then they meet some boys. And things happen. This movie delighted me because, as you'll hear in my interview with Mark Myers, I had a prominent role in the Satanic Panic. I was one of the panicked. I lived in terror of a serial killer named the Night Stalker who entered Los Angeles area homes through unlocked doors and windows, murdered a lot of people, and left Satanic messages on their walls. Because of this, I memorized the number of locks on our doors and windows, 10, and got it many times during the night to check them. My parents promised me the Night Stalker had never come anywhere near San Pedro, But I was sure I saw him once at McDonald's based on a police sketch of a very lanky man with rotten teeth. I remember walking toward the McDonald's man very slowly, comparing what I saw with what I knew from the news, his height, his age, his gaunt face, and how when his mouth opened it just seemed toothless and black. You can imagine my feelings of parental betrayal when he did turn up in San Pedro. Not our San Pedro, but I didn't understand that at first. He was caught one morning on San Pedro Street, chased down by locals when he tried to steal a car. I didn't understand that San Pedro Street was 20 miles away from our town. And I kept locking doors long after he announced, after he was sentenced to die in the gas chamber, see you in Disneyland. A very dark turn on an advertisement from the time. Mark Meyer shares my fascination with serial killers, and I'm guessing your fascination with serial killers. His previous film, My Friend Dahmer, is a matter-of-fact, unflinching, unsensationalized look at how one of the most infamous serial killers was made, based on a graphic novel by John Backdorff, one of Dahmer's teenage friends, to the extent that Jeffrey Dahmer ever connected with anyone. We Summon the Darkness has a much lighter touch, and one of the reasons I liked it so much is the way it confronts what are, for me, very deeply ingrained childish fears and makes them fun. All of the actors are good, including Alexander Daddario as the charismatic leader of the group, Maddie Hassan as the resident Hellcat, and Amy Forsyth as the quiet one. Johnny Knoxville turns up as the voice of the religious right. It's just that kind of movie and you can stream it starting tonight. Lock your doors and windows, count the locks, we summon the darkness. Here's its director, Mark Myers. So, are you in Brooklyn?
1: I am. I am in Brooklyn right now, yeah.
0: How is that going? <laughs>
1: um, I... I live in a quiet neighborhood in Brooklyn, and it's, you know, as odd right now for, for us and my family as it is for any other family with, you know, kids home and only the sort of nearby park as a, you know, a daily getaway. Um, yeah. But otherwise, you know, it's a very interior lifestyle right now as for everybody else. And I just hope that, you know, everyone stays inside until this tidal wave passes.
0: Amen. You know, I feel like your movie, I, I got to watch We Summon the Darkness on streaming on a video link a couple weeks ago, and I feel like it's actually a really nice distraction from all this. I feel like having a big problem on screen is a nice distraction from a big problem in real life.
1: That's nice to hear. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a fun problem to, to watch versus <laughs> the, the real problems that are out in the world right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, can you sort of describe for people what it is and uh, why don't we just start there? What, what the movie is?
1: We Summon the Darkness is a fun, wild, bloody genre film that begins with three beautiful heavy metal girls that go to a heavy metal concert during the satanic panic in the late 1980s in Indiana. And they meet three cute guys in the heavy metal parking lot before the concert and then ultimately hit it off and invite them back to a house to conti- t- continue to party into the night. Um, at that point, things continue to go way out of control and, um, the rest is up for your viewing pleasure.
0: Yeah. There's some really good twists that we won't talk about or reveal because right. we can't possibly, well, you could explain them better than I could explain them, but it's not going to be as good as the movie.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: First thing I want to ask, have you ever seen the short film Heavy Metal Parking Lot?
1: Oh, yeah. I actually just posted Heavy Metal Parking Lot on my Facebook page this morning. (laughs) Um, I'm in in advance of finally getting around to, you know, share the trailer because I think it's a – not only was it an inspiration for the screenwriter to, you know, have this film or this story travel through something that was an ode to that documentary – But it also served as a great inspiration for me and all my collaborators in making the film in regards to all the details of what it was like to be in the heavy metal community in the late 80s. Because that that short documentary is absolutely incredible.
0: (laughs) It's really funny because when I was watching it, I was thinking about Heavy Metal Parking Lot. And for people who haven't seen it, it used to be one of those things that you could get on Netflix um, when Netflix would still send out envelopes. But the wait for oh, it—the really? like, wait for it was like six months. Like I remember waiting forever for Heavy Metal Parking Lot when it was just this legendary movie, and it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Um, it is just a parking lot. I think it is it in Indiana.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, Virginia. No, it's in Maryland. I think. Oh yeah, outside yeah. A, a Judas Priest concert.
0: Yeah, and one of the many. Sort of low key, funny things about it is that they're saying the dumbest homophobic shit, not knowing that they're about to go see a band with a gay lead singer, um,
1: right? It's and, it's and, and and that there's like a guy who's twenty five and he's like, and this is my girlfriend, she's fifteen, you know, just <laughs> like it's it's just it just reminds us how far we've evolved as human beings from the eighties.
0: <laughs> how far we've come. Yeah. Um. I'm 44. I think you're about my age. How much do you remember about the satanic panic?
1: Oh, I remember the satanic panic. I, um, I was in high school, um, and college during, you know, it's overlap between the late eighties and the nineties. And remember the heavy metal characters in my high school, some of them I was scared of, you know, um, (laughs) until I realized they were just as nice as everybody else. Um, and remember it on the news, the sort of satanic panic kind of thing in the air. Now, I never went to any kind of um, gathering that was convincing people that the music was the devil's music. However, a small little tidbit was i my first witness of anything in filmmaking, I went with some acting friends and we were in extras in uh, a, a, a film called Black Roses where me and my buddies were in the front row of a heavy metal concert, where the, the band of black um, was going to town by town and possessing the audience members <laughs> because they were actually the devil. Because that was a comment on the satanic panic in the 80s when we were actually in high school and they did this low budget horror film called Black Roses. Um, Oh, and man. so I, you know, I remember that. I remember being scared of the, the cyanide in your Halloween candy and all these other <laughs> crazy fears that were created and put out there through the media. Right. None of them, none of them were true. Right.
0: Yeah. Your movie completely spoke to me because one of my formative memories is I was sleeping over at my friend's house when I was like 10. And she said, remember, his, his mom said, remember to lock all the doors. And he said something like, why, mom, is the boogeyman going to get us? And she goes yeah, Chris, there is a boogeyman. He's named the Night Stalker and he breaks into people's houses and kills them while they're asleep and leaves satanic symbols on their walls. And I was like, oh, okay. So I now lock doors uh, everywhere I go. It's lasted for, it it had a 35-year impact on me. Um, Yeah. And Richard Ramirez, Ramirez, the Night Stalker, was a real serial killer in LA where I grew up who I guess for me was the biggest... um, personification of the satanic panic
1: yeah i mean movies can have that influence the information can influence i don't know why this reminded me of i still don't put a a hat on a bed because in drugstore cowboy they said it's bad luck i was like all right i'm not going to do that then so you know.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean the satanic panic was so real i can remember like the metal kids at my school really scaring me at one point by saying they were going to like place a spell on me kind of like that kind of like that film that you were in, um, with the band possessing people. But like, this was a real, this was a really viable concern in the late eighties. I mean, it wasn't, but it felt like a really viable concern in the late eighties. It did.
1: It did feel, it did feel really real at the time. I mean, I, I do remember being scared of sort of heavy metal music or just the tough guys that were into heavy metal. Um, even though I listened to a lot of it, like, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Ozzy, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. There was just, um, there were some deeper cuts out there and some guys um, that really did use use that as part of their, you know, uh, they enjoyed scaring other characters in the high school hallways as heavy metal kids.
0: Yeah, it was weird. You kind of knew who like the good guys were and the bad guys were in heavy metal, like in terms of whether they were satanic or not. So like Guns N' Roses was cool. But like Slayer was definitely like a bridge too far. It was like yes. it was like alcohol and heroin or something. It was like this is too much.
1: However, I do remember wishing I was like in that White Snake video when he like pulled that gorgeous woman, <laughs> like the gorgeous woman pulls him into the back seat or what? I don't remember what song that was, but you know there was there was a lot with the long hair metal and hard rock on MTV that was you know something that we were. all many of us all dreamed would be part of us. And that's also part of the fun of the movie is that, um, for these three guys, this is the beginning of a heavy metal fantasy that you meet three gorgeous women in a heavy metal parking lot and that they ultimately tell you afterwards, Hey, do you want to come back to our house and party? And that you, you know, that we all may pair up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That video, of course, um, David Coverdale is pulled in the backseat here. I go again on my own. Here I go again
1: on my own. Yes. Yeah, real, yeah.
0: real total classic. Yes. Well, so you didn't, this is one of the first movies you have directed that you didn't write. You did two different movies this year that you directed that you didn't write. Can you talk about sort of the movies that you did as a writer and director versus the experience? Boy, this is a big question versus the experience of just directing.
1: Well, I mean, it was, I guess I, I do feel it was an ultimate journey that was natural for me. Uh, there, there does come a time when you, I was able to look back even in shooting My Friend Dahmer that I wrote and adapted from the graphic novel and the indies that came before it. And I'm in post right now on the third film I've done that I didn't write. Um, Right now I'm doing something for Universal called All My Life that's very different starring Jessica Roth and Harry Shum. Hmm. Um, But by the time you as a director get to set, I don't really remember always uh, writing it. I do know that I, I do know that I did it, and I do know that the story is like naturally in my in my DNA, and I know how to tell the story. But it's I don't look at the script and be like, "You have to say and do the words, the you know the way I originally imagined them when I was sitting there alone writing it." That's not the kind of director I am. So. It, it occurred to me after doing my friend Dahmer that not only did I want to go again quickly and make another movie I didn't want to wait on myself to write something since I had just done a movie before my friend Dahmer and then Dahmer and so i was I was ready to go again and was looking for screenplays because just like an actor I realized there are stories out there that I may just want to tell that I didn't originate yeah. and so it was it was it was a it was okay for me. You know? It was just the natural you know, course of things. So I really do continue to look for just scripts coming from anywhere that, uh, that get you know, shared with me, trying to find the, the stories that I may write as well or that I haven't. Because also, honestly, as a writer, I know that I'm going to put my imprint on it to make it my own through the process of making it as a director anyhow. You're yeah. constantly re- rewriting it. Through the course of shooting it, when you're in the edit room, and um, the fundamentals of telling, hopefully, a well-told story, those skills—if I wrote the original script or not—are still things that are of concern to me and part of the enjoyment of, you know, making a movie.
0: Do you have any preference in terms of writing it yourself versus working on someone else's script? I mean, I imagine there's kind of a kind of a freedom in not having to be accountable to your original vision, if
1: that makes sense. Um, there's there's benefits and cons to both i mean i think sometimes if you write it it could be a longer journey but that means that if you go for me and i get a chance to direct someone else's script while i'm also trying to move along a project i care about that i've written then you get a little bit of the best hopefully of both worlds um yeah I, i i think there's enough room to you know fold in my ideas as a writer into a script that someone else did that i don't i don't require that i i wrote it and and um the good thing about writing some something is that you you can if if i can do it really well then ultimately people will believe that it's possible as a movie because i've i've found a fun way to tell the story But even like my friend Dahmer, originally people had a knee-jerk reaction, going, "Not another serial killer film!" Like you, we had to make the movie to almost prove it as a concept. There were enough people that were enthusiastic about it, and it didn't end up on the blacklist um, one year in Hollywood. Then, which then introduced me to a lot of young actors that were interested in doing the role. But um, you know, every every story has its own struggles too. So, it is a, it is I, a really
0: – Dahmer is a really spectacular and unique movie that I haven't – I've honestly never seen another movie like it because you get so close to this horrible subject matter. You're not empathetic to Dahmer exactly, but you definitely explain how he ended up the way he ended up. And you also capture a 70s cruelty and meanness that I don't think exists anymore. I think it's so discouraged now for kids to behave that way. And there's just such a like sort of casual nastiness to the people around him and that he exhibits too, that I, I remember, I mean, being born in 75, I remember that in the late seventies, early eighties, that there were things that were just mean in a way that I don't think they are now, if that makes sense.
1: Well, well, I bet you that they are mean now, but they're not in your face. I think people probably hide behind their phones and bully in other ways, um, where then it was all in your face. You know, it was in the, it was, people were, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in any kind of school, but people used to bully right in the cafeteria, right to your face or, and you would, or you would witness it and you would, and it would entertain you. And that was the kind of culture that I remember in the eighties in school and also what was reflected in this, you know, in back Durf back graphic novel, um, from, you know, a seventies perspective. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think kids are just always going to be mean to each other. Unfortunately, it's part of growing up. It's just how, how do they find a way to do it when adults aren't looking? That's the, that's what happens. And then you realize who the good people are, the kids that are wise enough to go. It's not worth being like that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, I guess that's my two cents on that. But it is kind of refreshing to go tell a story of another error and not only be authentic to what was so wrong about behavior in in another moment, but at the same time, it helps us reflect on how far we've come. So I do think also, I agree with you, it's, you know, we are more considerate because we, we, we aren't, we aren't as nasty as it, it once was unchecked in the seventies and the
0: eighties. You've kind of done a really serious take on serial killers and kind of a, kind of a funny take. I mean, it is a funny take on serial killers with we summon the darkness. Um, did, did Dahmer inform darkness or is it just like the opposite where darkness is just complete fun and Dahmer was very serious?
1: Well, I did feel after Dahmer was done and, you know, that ultimately leads to, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer picking up his first murder uh, victim who's a hitchhiker um, in his car and ultimately bringing him back to the house where he'll later kill him, that as a filmmaker where I had gotten to with my first genre film, when I read the script for Darkness, I was like, oh, all the things that this script is suggesting, is i 'm right there at the point where this would be the next thing I could do if the Dahmer story had continued to go further it's it's wild it's bloody it's funny it's crazy um it's fast um, yeah. it's it 's subversive it 's in another subculture like the heavy metal community and so I definitely felt like it was a the next thing to do in that same you know filmmaking vein that I had discovered about myself with um, doing Jeffrey Dahmer's the, this story, and and that was my first genre film too. And I realized how much fun it was to sort of um, work in that in that in that space. Yeah,
0: I I know. Um, I, I think everybody is sort of secretly obsessed with serial killers. It's like we all think that we're the only one, but we all are. And I know for oh, we me, all I, are. yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, yeah. it absolutely goes back to the Night Stalker, the thing I talked about when I was ten years old. Um, why is it, why are they fascinating to you?
1: Well, I do know that we all are fascinated by the underbelly of our psyche, the, the dark, deepest, monstrous thoughts that don't stay in our brains as normal people, but they might, you know, creep through, or we're fascinated by all those people that went off the rails. It's just something that's natural. And it also makes for great entertainment. So um, for me, I wasn't, before my friend Domer a, a murderino or a serial killer <laughs> aficionado. But once in a while, like anybody, you get fascinated by the true crime stories that are out there, like Making of a Murderer, or right now everyone's obsessed with Tiger King, which I just <laughs> finished. And I think with the wild people out there in this world that go way off the deep end, are, will forever be interesting to any and all of us. Because the rest of us dare to, to be civil yeah. and normal, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, 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 try, we, we try to, you know, participate in society with other people. Or yeah. you have to find a really odd bunch of people that enable you to, to explore those really dark proclivities. Yeah. Does
0: it just come down... The thing that separates serial killers from the rest of us—do you think it is just lack of empathy, or something deeper? And I know that lack of well, empathy could be a profound one offset of a profound mental illness.
1: Having thought about Jeffrey Dahmer a lot as a teenager, over the course of making that movie, I, he was—I I do feel—and having hung out with the author a bunch, you know, he was wired wrong. Yeah. What what looked like just an oddball character, he was. Um, a sad, tragic kid, where the doors that could have opened to help him never did. And the doors that allowed his darkest proclivities to pour out, those doors did open up for him. Mm -hmm. And, and so he was left to his own devices in the solitary nature of growing up in Ohio, with an obsession for a neighborhood jogger that would routinely go past his house. And that that and some other thoughts about you know collecting bones and roadkill all allowed those things just to not become taxidermy but become yeah. you know an appetite for the human body um, which is just you know a, a crazy thing but the people that i had met through the journey of making that film that were still around and there were a few parents whose children were extras in some of those high school scenes. They remember Dahmer as a tragic kid in a tragic story. They know that he slipped through the cracks unchecked by, you know, the negligence of adults, and there was nowhere for him to turn for hope. I feel like society has improved itself and, and has a better eye towards helping someone that might be so far off the deep end, usually than, than at that then 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 and here with we saw in the darkness it's this sort of puppet master who's created f- fear and is yeah. is fanning the fear of satanic panic that allows him to have power and um, yeah. and and that that error of satanic pa- panic um allows for you know uh other people to do crazy things they never would have dreamed or would have they're definitely against their self-interest
0: <laughs> you're doing such a good job of not spoiling anything about the movie that was it's, really it's impressive
1: a, thank you it's a fine it's a fine line with this film but i i will say that the the producers and i have and the screenwriter we all very glad when the movie first came out and premiered a fantastic fast how those initial reviews none of the 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 writers really did want to give away any of the twists, and and thank God it it just uh, it gives it preserves the movie for anyone that's gonna you know come to see it in the next couple of days when it yeah comes out. It was meant for the theaters, but given the state of the world, I have these two movies right now that went straight to video on demand. But that's where everyone is; they're home, so that's where they go.
0: Uh, have you gotten any feedback in terms of how that's how that's going? I mean, just it is a really grand test of video on demand and whether this is kind of something that we do much more now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think everyone will be very relieved that we can go outside and gather with and sit elbow to elbow with strangers in a movie theater. And again, watch movies together and gather for all kinds of other things like concerts and weddings and things like that, that, that um, we all will forever have a desire to do that. But in the meantime, while we're all hunkering down, um, I had this movie come out a couple weeks ago on March 20th called Human Capital with Lev Schreiber, Marissa Tomei, Peter Sarsgaard, Alex Wolff from My Friend Dahmer and Hereditary, My Hawk. and yeah. it's done quite well. That's Everyone's great. home and and it's been, you know, a top performing independent film in the digital space from the moment it was available. And I'm glad that it's out there, even though it also had a theatrical plan that was you know sidelined by everything but um so in the meantime i have these two films that'll be available to people hopefully i just keep making movies and we get to go back to theaters and i get to do bigger films that you know for unquestionably are meant for um and must be seen on a large screen
0: yeah what are you writing now are you working on anything at this point
1: well, I'm actually in post on a movie I directed for Universal Pictures called All My Life, starring right. Jessica Roth um, right. from Happy Death Day and Harry Shum from Glee and Crazy Rich Asians and lots of other great shows. Um, it's got Jay Farrow in it, John Rodinsky, Marielle Scott from Lady Bird, oh, um, awesome. Chrissy Fit. It's got a, a Kiala Settle, who was in uh, The Greatest Showman. Um, just a, a really fun, youthful cast. And it's a tragic love story. It's a very different kind of film. Um, and so we're in post right now where the editor and I are working remotely. He's on the West Coast still. And I, I returned home when all the you know news yeah. started to break. Um, and I'm back here in Brooklyn. And we're, you know, we're trying to do our best to, uh, put, leave it in a place in the next week or two that when we resume, when the world gets a little bit back to normal and we can all get back in a room together to collaborate that, uh, we've left it in a place that it's in a healthy spot to continue working with the composer and everything else.
0: Can, can Uh, you edit remotely? Is it a thing where you absolutely need to be in the same room together or are you able to do it over Skype or speakerphone or something?
1: Well, I, uh, given where the editor is and in his home situation, we've worked in in we know the movie well enough together that yeah. we can talk on the phone. I I think I would slow him down if I was like looking over his shoulder digitally. I have a lot of trust in him, so you know, on a daily basis, I'm I'm getting versions of the refinement of where I am in the, in that film at this this moment in my cut. Um, but it I do. I do, there is a difference. There is a magic that happens when you're in the room with other collaborators that, w- that is, no matter what you do, is not just replaced by a Zoom or a Skype call. There's something that happens when you're in the room together figuring a movie out. So we're working our way through that um, loss of, of the, the magic of, of collaborating um, together in that way. So I look forward to getting back to that kind of um, place with that film. And at the same time, once, um, things on that are fully put on pause, I'm excited to start working on some other scripts that I, I already have that I want to revisit and some new stuff, um, that I want to work on. Yeah.
0: Do you think it's going to be harder to find high dramatic stakes after all of this? I mean, is a movie
1: about, you know, almost
0: anything going to pale in comparison?
1: No, I think that it might be easier. I think the danger is, I have this conversation with someone, is I wouldn't be surprised that in six months from now, um, lots of development execs and producers re- are, have to weed their way through a huge pile of pandemic screenplays. Right. right. And, and so I just don't think I will write one of those. Even though, you know, you can sit home alone and think you might have the original idea that could be the different concept to, to, to address this issue that we're all dealing with. But I think the human conflict goes through many forms. I mean, period pieces will forever be, like something said in the 80s or even earlier, there's lots of characters from history that I would love to explore in a story. Those will yeah. forever be relevant if, if they are relevant to who we are. Um, and I'm sure that dystopian tales are going to be very relevant after this, unfortunately, and things about a police state, because I have a... You know, one part of me fears for what, you know, how we'll be protected in the future. But oh, yeah. then, um, you know, but then movies are forever escapist, too. And uh, a lovely, fun adventure of people gathering for, you know, a picnic or something could be a lovely movie. You know, I, I almost want to rewatch Richard Linkladder's, you know, Before Sunset and before sunrise series in a, in a, in a, in a time like this when I'm home. Um,
0: yeah. You know, I watched, I I watched Bernie last night and it's, it was so refreshing. It was such a perfect movie to watch. He's a great director to begin with, but I'd never seen Bernie for some reason. And it was just a total breath of fresh air. It's like, it was, it had enough, enough event, but not too much.
1: Right. I, it's, it's hard to know how, how we will, feel i do feel like after 9-11 it's like there were a few 9-11 films that came out that addressed various parts of that human experience um but at the same time it's nice to have this sort of joyous film that could be out there as an emotional buoy for people when this whole let's say tidal wave of a pandemic has hopefully passed um yeah. And so I think there's space for any kind of movie to follow as well, as, as well, as long as it's well told by whoever's doing it. And yeah. those fundamentals that, you know, Aristotle brought up that we've you know, learned about in mythic structure and um, through various screenwriting books or whatever, those will still apply to any kind of story.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And when you think about how much stuff we've been through and how many of those stories have endured, it does. Uh, it is pretty encouraging. I mean, I always have the thought of like, what are we going to do when the internet goes down? And then I think, not that I'm saying that will happen, but if that happened, and then I realized like, well, it would be like until 1995, basically, when I seem to remember getting along okay, except for, you know, the Panic. Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, the fashion was pretty bad, but otherwise it was kind of fun <laughs> in the nineties. I mean, I, I watched naked and afraid. Like, I think I'm prepared for the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm ready. I I went hitchhiking through Costa Rica many years ago and I brought back a machete. I'm 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 prepared to take my w- wife and kid out into the wild and find a little house in the in the mountains and hopefully Holy have shit. a neighbor hopefully have a neighbor who's good at hunting cuz I do not know how to do that, but <laughs> at least if I watch the shows like Naked and Afraid, I feel like I'm prepared. <laughs>
0: I, uh, when things were dark, I bought a bow and arrow on Amazon, um, <laughs> just in case, not for people, but like in case we need to hunt rabbit or something. And, uh, yeah, it's harder than I remember when I was a boy scout, I was, I was pretty decent at archery and, um, they've evolved. They've gotten a lot more hard, more difficult to use.
1: So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I- I, but I, I don't think it's going to get that grim. <laughs> However, there there could be space for a story like that after all this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. So you're doing – you have so much stuff in the hopper right now. I mean to have two movies coming out in the same month is absolutely awesome. My Friend Dahmer is a, a movie that I highly recommend to anybody who hasn't seen it. I think it's on Hulu now if I'm not mistaken.
1: Is it? Is it? Well, I know it's on iTunes. That's where I check – that it's, you know, it's amazing how over two years later, after its theatrical release, it comes and goes on the horror charts is still around and there's lots of fans out there of the movie that are always doing these funny uh recuts of the trailer to any God. odd song they find. And um <laughs> and fans of Ross Lynch and Alex Wolf are always out there, you know, championing it. Um but i think it's on itunes and amazon i think it's on amazon as well and it was on hbo for a little while and human capital's going um is doing digital right now and it'll it'll go through a very similar path and we yeah. summon i think we have a lot of faith in you know just it, it it it's fun so i think that that will hopefully stick as well
0: it's it's a very perfect movie to watch like tonight i, I mean it's just a very in every sense. I mean, it's just a fun movie an entertaining movie, a total take your mind off things movie.
1: And, yeah, and it's good sober. It's good. Stoned. It's good. funk, <laughs> you know, it's, However, it's good on wine. It doesn't matter. I think mean, it's just, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: did you, it seems like you must've had like a real creative rush a few, a few years ago um, to get all this coming out. Now, was there a point when it wasn't like this? I mean, did you have a, a slow time and now you're having kind of a winter rinse it pours?
1: Well, yeah, for sure. I, 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 mean, there. My, my wife is my producing partner, and Jody and I have made a few films together. But there was a movie called How He Fell in Love that we yeah. made right before Dahmer, and um, that was a, an extramarital affair yeah. story uh, with Matt McGorry, Amy Hargraves, Mark Blum, who we sadly lost uh two weeks or a week ago to this virus and Brittany Oldford yeah like it was you know a great small cast in a New York film that we made together and um before that film that led me to then do Dahmer there was definitely a recalibration in the kind of stories I wanted to tell so there were a few years there where I you know I don't know if I stepped back but I, I was struggling to get a little bit of traction And was just focused on, you know, writing Dahmer and, 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 and some other projects like rewriting how he fell in love to, to sort of do that right before, um, my friend Dahmer. Um, yeah, there's been, there's been little areas where I found other ways. Um, so I take any of these opportunities that have come lately or that I'm creating, um, for ourselves, excuse me, now as, I'm very grateful for them. And I, I I do know, like I have shared films at film festivals that were screening the movie in a church with folding Mm. chairs, you know, to 12 people and we would drive up there for the weekend. And so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, I'm finally getting to do some bigger movies and hopefully I get to keep doing that. The, The idea of getting together with 150 collaborators on a soundstage on a location right now will feel like such a huge victory given the state of the world right now to go back to that, to be able to gather with actors and cinematographer and the camera department and all the other collaborators is just one of the most magical experiences. And it's why I keep trying to make movies. Cause that, that there is, is the best existence, I think.
0: You know, this seems like a really good time for couples who are also professional collaborators because we're not allowed to go out and talk to our other professional collaborators. Um, yeah, I mean, my wife publishes Movie Maker. I'm kind of the I'm the editor in chief of Movie Maker, so I kind of get to do the creative fun stuff, and she solves problems. It sounds like you guys have a similar dynamic. Um, the producer tends to take on more of the problem solving uh, function. Can you talk about how that dynamic works for you and how it's? changed if it's changed under, uh, under quarantine?
1: (laughs) Well, um, it's only been a few weeks, right. of under quarantine and we have a daughter who's in elementary school. So we've, um, as I'm working remotely, uh, right now on this latest film, the, the, the daily education of our daughter has fallen more on my wife. But as we be, Soon we'll be able to sort of tag team a little bit if my daughter will let me in sort of maintaining that education. Um, it we are you know do have some focused time together to sort of plan the next kind of projects that we want to make together. But we have definitely grown as creative producers together over the journey of making I guess five or six seven films now together wow. starting with approaching you you know when we were first dating she read some plays that I a play that I had written that had run on stage in downtown New York and she thought well we should make this into an independent film and it was a collection of essentially 11 different shorts where the main characters from each all happen to be on the same New York City bus so it kind of dissects the separate lives of 11 different passengers yeah. and that was a way for us to kind of collaborate together and like almost learn filmmaking as a long form together. She was producing television before that. And we've just evolved naturally with a very shared aesthetic and as a great partners as producers together. So she's, she's a really, really smart creative producer who I think has a really sharp eye and, um, a, a wonderful taste in what's, honest and she also knows what you know where my strengths are and where to to help we help each other and we support each other so we we work really well together um and and the projects just have you know changed and we're always figuring out what would be an interesting story to do next um and so as we to answer your question you know are huddled at home we surely will find time to sketch out some of these other projects that um are down, are down the road for us yeah
0: god i love there's, that yeah that that's really encouraging for probably everybody who works with their with their significant other that's awesome that you guys can work that out
1: yeah i mean there's been a lot more wine consumption over the last <laughs> week and our average has increased at dinner but um <laughs> but that has nothing to do with uh, collaboration at all that's just you know we're all home right now <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I think that's all I got. Is there anything else we should talk about?
1: Yeah, whatever you. Yeah, I mean, whatever you want to ask, I'm I'm cool. It's been a joy hanging out with you, and um, you too. You know, I'm I'm yeah, I'm really excited for people to 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 get we some of the darkness and watch Human Capital. Thank you for also circling back and mentioning my friend Dahmer. Um, oh God, yeah. And even even how he fell in love um, is you know I'm very proud of that. I think. Honestly, that was a kind of, I think that was the beginning of me moving beyond going just trying to make a movie and kind of growing up a little bit and sort of feeling like that was the beginning of me being able to express myself as a filmmaker and just trusting that I think I know what I'm doing and, yeah. and that keep, keeps growing and I keep learning. So they're all there for people that are stuck at home for the <laughs> unforeseeable future. <laughs>
0: If I could say one last thing, just I remember reading the comic book with the graphic novel, whatever we're going to call it, my friend Dahmer, and thinking it was so excellent, but also thinking like, this is so far out of line from mainstream anything, like it feels dangerous to have it. Like, I I hope I never get accused of a crime. And like, they find this in my house, because they'll think I'm some kind of sicko or something. As excellent as it is, I just knew it was going to be totally misunderstood. And for you to have all the gumption that it must've taken to get that made into a movie, just props really beautiful job and beautiful job to you and your wife for getting it made.
1: Thanks. I mean, we believed in a concept for that idea before we even found the book. Like we had done a movie called harvest and afterwards had said, it would be interesting to do a movie that was a portrait of a young boy who realizes he's going to be a serial killer. And then we also thought we were gonna look for, you know, naturalistic graphic novels because we're not aficionados in superheroes. Right. And then I went to Comic Con and I was walking around the Comic-Con in New York back in twenty twelve. And the publisher, I was introducing myself to a bunch of the publishers, and they you know, Abrams Comic Arts, someone sitting at that booth just given me gave me an advanced copy, a reader copy of a that book that they were excited to come out the following year. So not many people had taken a look at it. It was just sort of meant, meant to be. Um, but it, you know, you know, I, I, I think independent films and even just larger movies like the Joker, I think there's huge value if it's your, you know, as a filmmaker, your interest to sort of try to tell something that's a little subversive. We, um, and yeah, I mean, and and that changed me as a storyteller. I, I I got to, you know, really delve into something that was dark and twisted, and feel comfortable telling and enjoying telling stories like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, just trying to find the humanity in in it at the same time. Yeah.
0: Well, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been a total joy. It, it flew by. Thank
1: you great. It was great hanging out. Have a good week. Best to you and your family. Hopefully everyone stays healthy and safe.
0: You guys too. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Cheers.